The coronavirus has upended a lot of things about our lives, but few industries have seen as drastic a change as the entertainment business. With the rise of streaming services and social distancing begging the question, what happens to movie theaters? I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Joining us to wade through this transformation is our media expert, Joan Salzman. Welcome, Joan. Hi. So let's start with a recap of the year. We saw the launch of a number of streaming services, uh, Peacock, HBO Max, and then there's, of course, stalwarts like Netflix continuing to dominate pop culture with shows like Tiger King and Queen's Gambit. How did the so-called streaming wars shake out in 2020? We saw breakaway successes and truly epic failures over the course of the last year. Among all the new services that have launched in the last 14 months or so, nothing compares to Disney+. Plus. The subscribers that a service brings in, that's the currency of success for streaming services. And no matter how you look at it, Disney Plus blew away all other new competitors completely out of the water. You know, Disney hoped to have between 60 million and 90 million subscribers within five years. And it nearly hit the top of that. It's most optimistic expectation. It nearly beat that within one year, not five. It's at 86.8 million subscribers at the end of its first year. Um, And then on the flip side, you had these epic failures like Quibi, which entered 2020 swinging. It was booking Super Bowl commercials. It was making it rain all over Hollywood, paying stars tons of money to make these short form uh, serial movies and chapters and uh, daily essentials and other things that if you could see me, I'm making all these little air quotes, but it totally flopped and it announced that it was completely shutting down just seven months after launching. So we've seen some really legendary storylines play out in the streaming world this year. Definitely. And in between, though, we had a couple of these other services, HBO Max, Peacock, which all launched uh, as well. And it was a little bit quieter for them uh, up until at least the end of the year with HBO Max. But how did those two services fare out when they when they launched? They didn't do as well as Disney Plus, but nothing has done as well as Disney Plus. You really nothing else compares to it. They've been doing. You know, if if Disney Plus hadn't had the insane year that it did, their launches would look you know pretty good, fine. They're all right. Um, HBO Max is at, um, you know, I have to check the numbers, but, you know, it's at, it's in like, um, I think 8.6 million accounts. And Peacock has more than that because Peacock has a free tier. HBO Max, you have to pay $15 a month to access it or be a HBO existing subscriber um, that has a deal with HBO Max in order to get it. But, the point is, you know, they're doing fine-ish. Um, it's compared to a truly extraordinary, unexpected success like Disney Plus that it looks like they're really doing poorly. And you know, to be fair too, you know, HBO Max with its high price point, the fact that the fact that it was kind of a con- confusing proposition to people, and um, the fact that it wasn't on Roku or Fire TV the two most popular streaming devices for months, that also crimped it in particular, its appeal. You know, there are like 30 some million people that can have HBO Max basically for free because they are 
they're already paying for HBO. And of those, we're, at, we're still at below 10 million accounts right. on HBO Max. So it's definitely struggled in some senses. Yeah, well, Disney Plus was obviously helped by a number of big cultural milestones, right? The Hamilton earlier this year. Of course, Mandalorian is back. More Baby Yoda love. Uh, even Mulan, which had that $30 mm-hmm. premium charge, did pretty well. HBO Max is poised to have its you know, potential big moment come tomorrow with the release of Wonder Woman 1984. I'm, I'm curious what you think the impact is there. And as we sort of look forward, you know, how that's going to affect the the way movies are released. Well, it's cer- certainly going to supercharge interest in HBO Max, coupled with the fact that HBO Max not only is releasing Wonder Woman um, on Christmas Day, the same day that it's available to see in theaters, um, those that are open, um, it's also making it its entire slate, the Warner Brothers' entire slate of movies for the entirety of next year are going to be released the same way, where they're, it's available to stream on HBO Max the same day it's in theaters for what, a period of one month. So people have one month to, to sign up for HBO Max, log into it if you already have it, watch like some of the, you know, Wonder Woman, 1984, Dune, Matrix 4, tons of like huge movies and smaller ones that are also highly anticipated. Because, like that's never ever happened before. <laughs> and people are really, I think, excited about it. It's going to supercharge interest in the streaming service. But it also means that, you know, it's kind of a crossing of the Rubicon. Um, for decades, theaters have had a 70, at least 75 days where they get exclusive access to new movies. And of course, during the pandemic, with these widespread theater closures, cinemas being closed, a lot of companies have tried to figure out how can you, you you just can't have a 75 day window where something is only in theaters when there aren't any theaters open and the ones that are people don't feel safe going to. So we've seen a lot of experimentation about what do we do in this situation? But this move by Warner Brothers and HBO Max, where they're making so many of these really big budget movies available what's known as day and date where it's available for home video streaming the same day that it's in theaters that's that's a point of no return like things are never they might not look exactly like that once the coronavirus and the pandemic are in our rear view window but it's never going to be theaters and the theatrical experience is never going to be exactly the same again so the reaction well i imagine for a lot of folks out there who are locked down this is this is good news but not everyone has created this with open arms, right? A number of directors, uh, you know, filmmakers and, and actors have been kind of up in arms, right? Who, who's been sort of speaking out against this practice? Well, certainly Christopher Nolan, who um, is a longtime Warner Brothers director, he's made all of his big films with Warner Brothers. And most recently, uh, his film Tenet was released by Warner Brothers. And that partly led to this decision that Warner Brothers needed to figure out something other than purely theatrical premieres for films. Tenet was released. It did. Tenet did fine overseas. It did reasonably well. But in the U.S., it tanks. Like it, he, Nolan is a is a fa- is fam- famously defensive of the theatrical experience. He's one of those aut- auteur filmmakers who treasures that big dark room and the hushed crowd gasping all at the same time. Like that's that's his cocaine or whatever. And um, he didn't want to give that up and they didn't make him and they released Tenet where it had an exclusive period in theaters and it made less than $60 million at the U.S. box office. That, you know, it's standard for one of his movies to make $100 million plus in the U.S. at the box office. So the fact that they saw that it's just not tenable 
Warner Brothers thought it's just not tenable to have this sort of theatrical, this preciousness around theatrical release, at least during the pandemic. They went a different route. They Theirs is the most extreme that any studio has announced so far. A lot of other studios are trying to be a little more compromising. And their decision was made largely without consultation with the filmmakers, which, you know, it's one thing to upend these long held norms, some of which a lot of filmmakers really treasure, like Christopher Nolan really treasures this theatrical, um, the theatrical experience and protecting it. But it's it's not always it's it's the medium, not the message sometimes. And the fact that they sort of drop this bomb on these people without with Wonder Woman, there's a lot of consultation with those um, filmmakers. But the entire slate, like they they couldn't reach out to because people talk in Hollywood. If they reached out to some people, it would get all over town. So they basically maybe with a little bit of notice tried to get it out to some people. But they essentially just shut, dropped this bomb on the filmmaker community. And that in addition to the fact that it was such a dramatic change from what's baked into contracts and what people expected is it, it led to a really huge backlash. And we're going to see if they're going to get sued or if others might get sued. They might have to walk back some of the things. They might have to take some things that were on the 2021 slate off the 2021 slate so they don't fall under this um, so-called hybrid strategy. That's something we're going to see play out next year. Well, I'm just curious if this is a a one-off thing or this this pandemic related that 2021 is like 2020 a bit of a, a you know a lost year as we struggle to kind of get back to normalcy but once we get past it do things go back to normal i mean you you mentioned sort of the crossing of the rubicon how do you think things the changes that we're seeing now might kind of play out of the long term or will there be more of a hybrid approach like what what do things look like once we get to some semblance of normalcy again the- it's never going back to the way it was like the way the 75 day, 90 day window that theaters get new movies. That's not coming back. Um, even after the pandemic, because I think consumers for a really long time have wanted more options, especially, I mean, young, young consumers don't understand and even older consumers don't understand why you have to wait that long to choose where you get to watch your movie. You know, like the 75 to 90 day window in a theater, followed by the DVD, followed by online VOD, AKA online rentals, followed by a pay one window, followed by a pay two window. Like there's going to, it's going to change, but we can say for sure theaters are not going to be able to count on that sort of cushion of a 75 day to 90 day window of getting all new movies. They can't count on that because too many of these studios are owned by media companies that are also launching streaming services and really want them to succeed. It's not just Warner Brothers, um, which is owned by AT&T and also owns HBO Max that that is playing and experimenting with these new formats. Like you mentioned Mulan, that's Disney. Disney decided, you know, Disney of all studios they build their franchises on theatrical release. That means a lot to them. But they're still even toying with things. Like you said, they released Hamilton, which is supposed to be a big screen movie next year. They released it more than a year in advance and put it totally free on Disney Plus. For their bigger budget stuff, they're putting it on Disney Plus with this, what's known, what they're calling it, premiere access, which is basically when you pay a $30 extra fee and you get movies like Mulan that you can stream day and date, same day as in theaters. Next year, they're going to do that with Raya the Dragon. But even with Disney, they've said they haven't defined what they're going to do with Marvel movies. They're, it looks like they're going to give Marvel movies, which are their, you know, some of their very biggest blockbusters that they still have on the slate coming up. 
They're going to give them some time in the theaters because they know how important that is to building a franchise. Having that sort of mythic proportion in a theater is really important to a Marvel movie. Whether or not Black Widow comes to streaming a lot earlier than it would have before in previous, you know, in ye olden days a year ago, it would have taken about six months to nine months for any theatrical Disney movie to make it to Disney+. Plus. Maybe that'll shrink. What we do know is that theaters are not going to be able to count on a 75-day window. Consumers are going to have a lot more options about when and where they get to watch new movies. And the theatrical experience is going to have to change, you know, without having that really special treatment, that kid glove treatment of getting a 75-day window. You're going to see theaters having to adapt, offering more food, upgrading the experience of going there. Um, They're going to have to experiment with a lot of different payment models even, maybe. Um, The point is, movie theaters haven't really had to adapt or innovate for decades because they've had this protected window. And that protected window is going to change, but it's never coming back the way it was. And the theater experience is going to change, too. So if that change is thrust upon them and they're forced to adapt, do you think theaters are I guess, doomed to failure? Are they are they are they just are they screwed ultimately? Because I, I mean, frankly, I miss the theater experience, but I can't see myself going back for a while. Uh, and so are, will, will theaters survive long enough to be able to adapt and change? Yeah, theaters are going to survive. Like, they just won't be as many and they won't look the same as they did, which is, you know, a natural thing. Movies have been around, cinemas have been around for a really long time. It's one of, it's basically the first mass, mass visual, audiovisual media, you know? Um, you don't have theaters like the Depression era people's palaces anymore. You know, we don't go to theaters that look like someplace that would have a Metropolitan Opera in it. That's what happened in the 20s and 30s. We don't have that anymore because things change. Television happened. Um, so that's going to be another change. But what you're going to see is that the the gigantic megaplexes, the AMCs, the Cinemarks, they're probably going to get smaller because they can't, if you don't have that exclusive access to something, um, if people can choose whether or not they're watching it on that big screen or watching on their home screen, more people are going to be able to, they're going to choose to watch it on their home screen. And so you don't just need as many movie screens in America anymore. So we're going to see theaters close. We might see some chains completely go out of business. The thing that um, will be interesting to see is how smaller chains and mom and pop theaters, you know, the local art house theater, the smaller chains like Alamo Draft House. um, We're already seeing that those are those are the theaters and cinemas that are more likely to adapt because they don't have a sort of, you know, McDonald's mass market, um, happy meal mentality. They're catering to a local community. They're more likely to know the sort of things that would bring people into their theater if it's more than just movies. And it's easier for them to pivot and adapt. You know, Alamo Draft House was one of the first, um, chains, so to speak, that offered this rent a whole theater option, which has become more popular during the pandemic, where instead of having to spend, you know, 300 to a thousand to more dollars to rent an entire theater. It's like, look, we can't, we can barely show this to enough people because of the restrictions. Why don't you rent the theater for a hundred bucks and you can bring 15 of your closest friends and you can all like sit apart from each other and you can be 
reg- you know, pretty confident that we're going to be sanitizing it because we don't, we're, we're not trying to stuff seats because we have to stuff seats. They were the first ones to innovate in that sense. And we've seen the bigger chains start to adopt, adapt that model. So uh, no, like theaters, theaters aren't going to die. They're just going to look a lot different in the future. All right. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Thanks for your time, Joan. You can check out our story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to cnet.co slash daily charge. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.